0: Hi everyone, this is Skip Stewart, Vice President, Chief Improvement Officer at Baptist Memorial Healthcare, and this is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast.
1: Hey everybody, I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a General Surgeon and Chief Medical Officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital, DeSoto, and Chief Quality Officer for the Baptist System.
2: And hi everyone, I'm Jake Lancaster, an Internal Medicine Physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for the Baptist System.
0: Well today I am so excited Uh, As everyone knows, we're doing a four-part series on the four-step improvement kata as we move towards the kata conference. And we have a very dear friend and someone that actually even helped us kick off our improvement kata work, my good friend Mark Rosenthal. Mark, if you would briefly tell the audience a little bit about yourself uh, as we move towards uh, talking about grasping the current condition today.
3: Sure. So I've been in the continuous improvement game since about 1989 or so Um, through uh, cycling through a lot of companies. A lot of my early influence was from uh, Japanese consultants, all of whom had worked for or were heavily influenced by Taiichi Ono at Toyota. Um, I was introduced to Toyota Kata when I first read the book shortly after it was published and that was kind of one of those slap my forehead moments when I realized, uh, actually how to do what we've been struggling to figure out what to do for a long time, which was how to teach people to be coaches. And that's what got my attention about it. And, uh, um, and so, you know, I've been blogging about that, uh, since I encountered the book, I've been blogging on the dot for over 10 years now. And, uh, there was a big, big right-hand turn. I'm going to say, uh, when the Toyota Kata was published, and a lot of the influence uh, shifted then.
1: Mark, once again, uh, thank you very much for being with us, and uh, and Skip and and Jake. I mean, we're moving up in the podcast where we're having a four part series, which is the first one, so uh, that that's really good. But um, but Mark, as we as we talk about Kata, the improvement Kata, you um, and in this four part series, we're covering each of the four steps. Last week. We talked about uh, the, the challenge and the importance of the challenge. But for some of our listeners who may not have watched that and we would encourage or listen to that episode, we certainly would encourage you to go back and listen. Tell us a little bit about what the uh, what the improvement Kata actually is.
3: So if I call it a teaching method. Um uh, we know that you um, know that uh, Toyota, which is the benchmark company, has been developing leaders as coaches for a long time. And what Mike Rother's research really worked to uncover was exactly how they learn to coach. And what he discovered was the way they talk to each other is a form of deliberate practice with correction. And so he listened to or parsed a lot of these coaching conversations, and what he found was common thread across all of them were some key elements where they were always talking about what is the challenger direction and getting that well understood before they start moving in on solving problems, which is a big deal. And I hope Gemma covered that pretty well. Gemma's a good friend of mine. Sure. Um, Grasping the current condition, where are we now in comparison to that challenge, and spending a lot of time on that. Then saying, where do we want to go first? We're not going to try to land a man on the moon next week, but what do we need to do first? And then we establish a target condition, an intermediate step, anchor on that, encounter whatever problems we have to solve, which we call obstacles and systematically run experiments to shift the process into the target condition. Once we've hit a target condition or we hit a date, we go back to the beginning. Okay, are we still on the same track for the challenge? What's the actual current condition now? What's the new target condition? What obstacles are in the way? And then systematically work experimenting against those obstacles. And it's not unlike what you do as physicians when you're encountering a patient.
2: Mark, that was great. That was a great overview of the the process. And so, like uh, Dr. Mason said, we're going to be focused on step two today, grasping the current condition. So, let's just dive right into it. Um, Tell us what you mean when we talk about grasping the current condition.
3: That's a pretty broad question. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, there, there's really two, two, two places I, l- I like to go with it. One is I'm going to start with what uh, Mike calls, I'm going to find my book here. Okay. So, I'm going to reference the Toyota Kata practice guide here. Sure. Uh, and what Mike calls the starter kata, which is, it's, it's process-based, it's physical process-based, no, no doubt about it, but it's a great place to start. And it's a series of steps where we establish our performance metrics that we're driving toward. We establish how is the process operating now at a detailed level? Why is it performing as it does? And what are the key parameters which are affecting how it's performing when we call those process metrics? So we can go through certainly the industrially based example in there, uh, and that actually applies to many more cases than people think it would apply, for example, to uh, nurses rounding patients pretty much out of the book. Um, but, in general, what we're trying to do is take a very deep detailed dive into how is the process functioning now and why does it perform the way it does
1: Mark talk, talk to us and tell us why it is so important to truly grasp the current condition cause a lot you know i'm I'm very impatient and and I see a problem and I want to immediately. Uh, jump to solutions and try to start fixing things. But, uh, you know, invariably, a lot of time, most of the time when I try to do that, it doesn't work.
3: Yeah. And so do we all. I mean, that's human nature. Uh, We like to see things. We like to match patterns based on our experience. And then we immediately like to jump to just doing something. And uh, uh, but I want to come into your world, right? You know, as a physician, you want to take your time and do a good series of tests, do a good differential diagnosis and make sure that the treatment you prescribe is actually what the patient requires rather than treating something else. And it's really the same basic story when we're looking at process. The process is the patient. And if we think of it that way, that starts to make a lot of sense.
2: Now, to go along those lines in you know, talking about patients and the importance of grasping the current condition, I can think of a lot of examples, but one in particular is you know, maybe I'm managing a patient with uh, high blood pressure in clinic, that they're already on two medications, um, but the blood pressure in, in clinic that day is still high. And uh, I, I decide to just prescribe an, a third medication uh, for that patient, not knowing that patient just hasn't been taking the first two medications to begin with. So, you know, that I jumped to a solution without understanding the, you know, the actual current condition. um, And we see that all the time. Um, But what other mistakes do you see with, uh, you know, people's planning and planning interventions um, with regards to step two of the improvement CATA?
3: The biggest mistake, I think is they like to skip over it and and not go through they or they do superficially will just go through the motions because they already know know what they want to do and they're just mm-hmm. trying to justify it and you know I like to say it is what it is you've got to go in and look at your process without any judgment uh, especially if it's your process that's kind of, that can be hard because you likely created it or had a lot of influence in how that process runs today um sometimes it's helps helpful to bring in somebody from outside to take a long hard look for that matter um but it's the biggest thing, I think, is going in with a prejudice and on on thinking you know what you're going to find and not allowing yourself to be surprised. So as scientists, we want to be looking for evidence that proves we're wrong, because that's what really science is about, is I have a hypothesis. And it's hard to prove something is, but I can go and look for cases that don't fit my assumptions. And that's really what I'm trying to do.
1: Yeah, I think Skip and I were talking this morning and it, and it's so important about knowing how the process is actually being done currently. It's not we do have these biases about how we think it should be done or how we believe it's being done. And, and that gets me to my question. A lot of times managers and directors who are maybe a little away from the work, they may get the challenge. And it may be it may come down to them from above. And and how important is it for that manager to actually go to the, the site, go to the Gimba and actually watch and observe what's going on?
3: You know, when I'm in industry at this point, I'll grab my safety glasses and I'll say these are magic glasses because you don't know what's happening. You can't see what's happening unless you're wearing them. Um And I think it's critical to go see for yourself. And this is really now a manager has got to be careful because I don't want to push the people doing the work aside. But I do want to go and be really, really curious about the world that they actually live in. Um, And but I don't want to just ask them what's going on. I need to see. So this is a show me, teach me. I know you all have been doing a lot of work in humble inquiry. That's a great opportunity to engage the humble inquiry part of this, and go and be incredibly—I'm going to word—radically empathetic about what in you know your frontline nurses, for example, are actually dealing with on a day-to-day basis, because they're the ones who actually deliver the healthcare. The physicians design it.
2: So a moment ago you said, you know, when I asked about the problems with step two and what you typically see, you said people just omit step two. move right from challenge to an action. Why do you think we do that? Why, why is it that we don't take the time to understand the current condition like we should?
3: It takes time. And, uh, and, and, You know, I'm gonna speculate again. Human nature is I don't like to be wrong. And I like to look for evidence that I am right. And it's really easy to uh to just say, I know what to do here and just go do it. And you know, that's what we're really what we're trained to do. I mean, that's what eight years of medical school is about, right? (laughs) It's honing your honing your own eyes so that when you see something you've got a reference pattern that you're comparing against and you at least know the first steps to try to discriminate a bit so grasping the current condition is is very similar and we've got a it's, yeah it's human nature to say i know i got this is really what we're what we're fighting against
2: yeah i definitely agree you know taking that extra time when you think you already know the answer is tough and then also feel like we are rewarded more for action than for looking more at uh, or defining the current condition so you know we're always asked for our 90-day our action plan for this challenge you know nobody ever wants more information about the current condition once the challenge has been identified it seems just what so, are you going to do about it yeah it's, yeah here's the yeah. problem what are you doing about it
3: and so that's a that's a cultural question within the organization um and now we can start to look you know mike rother has a great point about that 90-day action plan is you make that plan at a point when you know the least about the problem mm. um and uh you know my time as a military officer we were fond of quoting probably not patent but that's who we said is no plan survives contact with the enemy <laughs> once you begin actually taking action You're going to learn more. And in the process of learning more, you've got to be flexible enough to say, oh, I didn't get that right. And adapt and replan and be willing to go in a completely different direction. And that's hard to do once you've written down the 90-day action plan. I like to borrow heavily from agile software development and my friends at Menlo Innovations, and uh, that's Joy Inc. And I hope you Mm -hmm. I know you've had Rich on here. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they replan every week. Okay, where do we get where are we now? What does what's now what's most important to the customer and then plan on that for the next week? So they have a plan. They know where they're trying to go, but they are flexible enough to adapt the plan as they go. And the the KATA process is engineered to do the same thing. That's what successive target conditions are about.
1: Yeah, you know, and um and I, I may not get this completely right, but uh you know, they asked Albert Einstein if he said if he had an hour to, to solve a problem, he would he would like to spend fifty minutes thinking about the problem and figuring it out and then spend the 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 remaining 10 minutes actually uh fixing it which uh you know that kind of goes along along with this because you you can't you can't you can never get to where you're going if you don't know where you are that's uh well you know you could blindly sometimes even a a blind squirrel finds an acorn every once in a while
3: (laughs) well you know einstein has this other quote attributed to him, that everything should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: And that is also a mantra for the current condition in that we tend to oversimplify our understanding. And so we want to dig in and make sure that we actually can explain um, what happens. This happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, and therefore we get this outcome because if you can't explain it to somebody who doesn't understand it, you probably don't understand it yourself. And that's, that's the way Kata works with the coach, because you're teaching, the learner's teaching the coach his understanding or her understanding of the current condition, and in making the learner become a teacher, the learner has to understand more. And
1: and, and that that gets me to my next question, is you said that one one thing that really attracted you to kata was the the coaching involved with it how how important and how key is having a coach during this kata process
3: it it doesn't work without a coach um, and I look at you know if you look at high performance anything high performance athletics all the people on the podium have coaches um you even you know Operated CEOs have people that they go to to bounce things off and coach them. So that relationship of having someone to think out loud to is really important to take us away from our assumptions and challenge our assumptions. The other second part of this is we've got to remember the point of Toyota Kata within the organization is to develop coaching skills. Once you have a deep bench of coaching skills, then the improvement skills just follow the coaching skills and you don't have to work so hard on it. So we're always working to develop coaching skills. That's the point and something we lose sometimes. And that's what was my aha moment coming back to seeing the book the first time was we had been in my company, we've been working really hard to figure out how to teach people to be coaches, and we knew, we, you know, some of us were pretty good at it, but we didn't know what we did. And what the book did was turn take us from unconscious competence back to conscious competence, so we're aware of a process that we can then teach others.
1: Yeah, and 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 one of the things I'm sorry, Jake. No, you go right ahead. No, I was just going to say is that. Um, you know, in reading and learning about kata and participating in kata, it, it's it's a way of thinking that is what kata is. It's it's not not necessarily another tool, but it's and it and it doesn't help you fix a specific problem. It, it's a way of thinking that helps you attack and and fix any type of problem. Is that correct to say?
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think I would like to call it, again, a teaching method. It's a way to learn the mindset. It's not the only way. There's certainly other ways because, you know, we've only been doing Toyota Kata for 10, 12 years. And people have been doing good scientifically based problem solving a lot longer than that.
0: Sure,
3: Um, sure. So what Toyota Kata is, is a practice routine that we can use in order to teach the mindset to others. Coming back to our topic, we're grasping the current condition is, in my mind, the most important part. Because what I see if I have a learner who is weak on a target condition it's because they didn't un- understand the current condition enough. If their experiments are revealing stuff, they're getting slapped in the forehead on a lot of stuff, that's because we're getting more information about the current condition. Uh, Steve Spear, who I know you've also had on one of my favorite quotes from him is uh, the root cause of all problems is ignorance.
0: Mm.
3: And so grasping the current condition is about removing at least some of the ignorance so that we have enough information to know where we want to go first, narrow our focus and then learn more about that part of the process. So there's sometimes some back and forth. Between current condition and target condition, because once I have a target condition, I am now getting more information off in my first few experiments about that part of the process and um, and then starting to really yet helps me understand what the actual obstacles are.
2: No, it's very helpful, and glad we we took it back to grasping the current condition, so you mentioned you know, really getting out on the floor, putting on your magic safety goggles, spending time with the nurses or whoever else is doing the actual work. Is there anything else um, that you need to do in order to understand the current condition? You know, how important is the the data analysis and everything else that would come from it?
3: So I'm going to go back to the practice guide there. Um, That's a great starting point, but the critical pieces are – I want my learner to be able to draw that block diagram and sketch out and then use that sketch to explain to me what's going on well enough that I understand it. Um, Because, again, if they can't do that, they probably don't. Um, I would like to know what is it that you're actually, you know, your challenge metric typically is, is is your performance metric. What are you trying to change? And then I would love the learner to be able to tell me what are the aspects of that process, the parameters, the inputs that are driving the current performance. Then typically, not always, this is like the pirate's code, it's more of a guideline. The the target condition typically will focus in on one, maybe two of those parameters and trying to stabilize those. And adjust them to where we need them to be, in order to get part of
0: the process stable. That well, answered your question.
2: No, that did for sure. You know, and you know, I'm glad you took it back to the 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 guide. And then, you know, I know after a period of time, you re-examine the the current condition. Um, Do you find that most organizations do that or they rely on the current condition from several months ago when they started the challenge?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the question in the coaching kata is what is the actual condition now? It isn't what was the current condition when we started this. Um, So one of the things that I look for as a coach is, is the current condition up to date and does it reflect what's actually happening? This is sometimes a little awkward because you get that, a mix of it in the obstacle list and a mix of it on the experimenting record, and sometimes the learner doesn't feel the need to go back and update the board itself, and I want them to do that because ultimately what I should be seeing is the target condition and the current condition. I should see the current condition converging to look like the target condition over time because that's how we know we're there. Um, so yeah, we want to keep it up to date. Then we hit the target condition or the achieve by date. What I like to do is, okay, let's put the periscope back up and grasp the current condition from scratch, get the whole thing from the scope of the challenge again, because there's a lot of times that it will be focused on one part of the process and we'll get what I call collateral benefit. On other parts of the process, mm. certainly other parts of the process that we're not paying attention to will change, and we've got to understand the bigger picture before we set a new target condition.
1: Mark, we're we're all we're in healthcare, and a lot of this work was done in manufacturing, and and I know that you've you've coached people in manufacturing, you've coached people in service-oriented type uh, industry. Is there any big difference in the way this method is applied? Uh, you know, healthcare's complicated, you know, as, as Skip says, it's the most most complicated socio technical system in, you know, out there. Uh, and, and sometimes it just seems like it's it's all muddled. How can how can you convince us, not convince us, but encourage us that that yes, this is totally applicable? Across all sectors
3: um, I would yeah there's a look at the sources of friction, the sources of drag, the sources of getting in the way of getting things done that you know need to be done. Um, I'll go back to the nurses on the on the floors because they're at the, they're at the front end. what gets in their way of doing the things that are on the physician's orders? And all of the other stuff where they have to go hunting for stuff or things that just cause their shift to be frustrating. There's a lot of non-clinical stuff there and even stuff that's on the margins that uh, can make their lives a lot easier and in turn free up their attention to see be the better eyes and ears for the physicians. And. I know, I, I know we, we had a case actually there in, uh, in, in Columbus where a, uh, a, a head nurse, working on a seemingly unrelated uh, uh, challenge, ended up working really hard to make the physicians' rounding simpler and gave him, you know, an hour or two of his day back. Mm. So that allowed him to pay more attention to the patients, and not get interrupted so much during rounding. And so there's a lot of direct application of just getting rid of the things that that shift your attention away from what you want to be focused on right now. Sure.
2: What about the importance of, of standardized processes as it relates to grasping the current condition? In healthcare, we often have 10 different ways to do the same thing. And if we go to a nursing unit in one hospital versus another or a clinic versus another clinic, um, things are much different, you know, if you worked in one, I was talking with HF the other day about how much different it is with one nurse in one clinic, if you move to another one, it's it's completely different, so how can you move towards a target condition if you're standardized, you don't have standardized processes?
3: So, that's a whole bag of worms called standard work, um, or standardized work, and That'll things, be a
2: 10-part
1: series, It could know. be,
3: yeah. But one of the thing, and things I'd like to emphasize here is why do we have it? And the number one reason that we've set a standard for how things should go is so that the people who are doing the work themselves can tell if things are going differently than the way they should go. So standard work is a local thing. It's by the team, for the team. I don't mind so much if two different floors have some variation in the way they carry out tasks simply because there's, you know, in industry, I I had an argument with uh, the quality director at Kodak, you know, look, just having, you know, we have these machines and they're in different buildings and different, the same machine, but even the location of a pillar or a wall will change the choreography of how that machine is run. You can't just write down a procedure down to that level of detail and the choreography and expect everybody to follow it. Things are different. The floors are laid out differently. So, you're going to have some variation. You absolutely set your standards for how the care has to be delivered, for for, for the things that are critical to quality to get done a specific way. But Um, David Marquet talks about those as your Legos. Don't break the Legos, but you can assemble the Legos in lots of different ways. And as long as the structure is solid and as long as the standard is met, if the fourth floor and the fifth floor have a little bit of variation between them, you know, that's pretty much okay. As long as the people on the fourth floor who are doing the work all can tell whether if I'm doing it, I'm doing it in in the way it's supposed to go. Because it's an obstacle detector. And that's the way to look at standard work. Is something just got in my way, rather than just working around it and rolling with it, call the timeout. Yeah, exactly. Call the timeout and then say, wait a minute, what just happened? Oh, well, the, uh, this, the supplies weren't available in the room. Okay, now we get the supplies, we continue the work, but then we write that down. We say, how come? And we start looking at that.
0: Well, Mark, this has been great. I can't believe that 30 minutes has already went by. Wow. Uh, You know, one of the things I'll always remember that you taught me, Mark, among many things, is, you know, one of the elements within the Kata community when we talk about grasping the current condition is we talk about the pattern of work. And uh, Mark knew that I was a big SEC football fan. And he started saying, Skip, how are we playing the game? And that just triggered with me, uh, uh, you know, that phrase of how are we playing the game? And, and you can watch on any given Saturday, if you like to watch uh, uh, SEC football like I do, you can see I teams. didn't like watching it this weekend. Yeah, no, I, know it didn't, no. I know it didn't go well for y'all this past week, sorry. But, you know, I, I know that you can watch and you can see the characteristics Even though they're both playing the same game, and they may may even have equally talented athletes, but you'll see a difference sometimes in how they're playing the game. And in our world, how are they playing the game on first shift versus second shift versus the weekend shift? And so I always think of you, Mark, when I see the word pattern of work, I automatically think of how are we playing the game, and I think of Mark Rosenthal. So, that, that is something you've always brought to me. Well, Mark, thank you so much for sharing your pearls of wisdom and discernment. And just thank you on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Thank you so much for for joining us today and, and getting into this subject of not only the improvement, Kata, but specifically step two, uh, grasping the current condition. Thank you so much, my friend.
3: Thank you for having me. Thanks,
0: Mark. Thank you, Mark.
2: Did Mark spark your curiosity today? You're invited to learn more about Kata by joining the KataCon9 Summit in 2023. This is where Lean Frontiers has gathered some of the world's most experienced Kata practitioners. We're not just describing presenters, we're describing you as well. So come connect with the Kata community, learn from each other, share your experience, and lead with new ways to help you and your organization develop your workforce. March 14th and 15th in Jekyll Island, Georgia. To learn more, visit leanfrontiers.com slash 9